Hello and welcome to our continuing 2017 educational webinar series. In June, we will take a look at employee-related topics including handbooks, pregnancy in the workplace, and patient safety. I am Dr. Jill Brooks, Senior Director of Education for First Healthcare Compliance. At First Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, a hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. Today we are so pleased to have Allison Britton Duraco of Morris James here with us presenting again. Today she is presenting Best Practices for Employee Handbooks. Allison defends the interests of both public and private employers in a variety of industries against claims of discrimination, retaliation, constitutional claims, contract disputes, misappropriation of employers' property rights or business opportunities, restrictive covenants, and other aspects of employment relationships in both state and federal courts. Allison assists clients in drafting employee handbooks and policies as well as negotiating and drafting contracts. Allison also counsels employers concerning strategies for compliance with federal state laws involving various aspects of employment law aimed at the prevention of claims. Allison frequently serves as a guest speaker on employment and education law topics. A copy of her slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box on your control panel during the presentation. We will address them at the conclusion. Your PACOM CU certificate will be emailed to you from PACOM following the broadcast. There is no need to request it. This does take approximately one to two days. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BEC Advantage members following this live broadcast to see their website for details. Go ahead, Allison. Hello, and thank you for having me. Um, I want to take out, get started on the presentation. My presentation today is on best practices for employee handbooks and um, just going to cover some basic um, helpful hints for employers in pre preparing an employee handbook. Um, these can definitely, these handbooks can definitely be specialized to your company or your practice, but I'm going to kind of walk you through various different provisions that can be included and pros and cons for having certain provisions um, and not to have certain provisions. So the first section of the type of uh, policies or employment policies that I'm going to cover. And the first uh, section or topic I want to discuss with you is employment at will. And just as an overarching um, issue is whether your state is an employment at will state. So I practice in Delaware. I'm not permitted to give you legal advice regarding any other states. However, um, Delaware is an at-will employment state, which means that an employee can be fired for any reason at any time except for an unlawful reason. Um, there are exceptions if an employee is under an employment contract for a term of a period of time um, or as I said, you can't, an employee can't be fired for an unlawful reason. So that would mean um, for discrimination, retaliation, um, a violation of the implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing, which means like some false reason is made up um, to fire the employee. Uh, so if you are an at-will employment state like Delaware, you want to make sure that your handbook doesn't create rights for the employee that gets you out of the at-will employment. So um, you don't want to be, you want to be careful not to modify the employee at-will doctrine. Um, and you want something in there that will say something like the at-will employment doctrine cannot be otherwise modified unless the collective bargaining agreement, if there is one, or a writing signed by management uh, modifies it. So um, an example that you know, has come up at, in my practice is an employer telling an employee that they would be in a communication, an email communication, that they would be in a certain position for five years if they came to work for him. And um, that employee detrimentally relied on that statement, left another job, and came to work for that doctor. So you can, and someone, the employee can make the argument that 
I was told that I would be here for five years. I can't be fired, you know, within that five years, the employee, the employment at will doctrine has been modified. So that's just an example. So you don't want something like that to be in your employee handbook also that would modify that. Um, the other, uh, one other provision uh, that is very important to include in an um, employee handbook is a provision concerning equal employment opportunity. And with this, you want to make sure um, that you list all the protected categories as well as a catch-all that says, you know, other protected characteristics um, under state and federal law. Uh, there may be more state protected characteristics than federal. Um, so you really want to speak to an attorney from your state to know, you know, which ones are your state protected characteristics. Um, if you list some of the protected characteristics and not all of them, it can, it can be um, a problem because, for example, say you leave out age, um, and then, but you have in there race, sex, religion. Uh, it can be interpreted to mean that you that it's okay to discriminate against age, um, but that all of the other protected characteristics um, are covered in the policy. Another uh, type of provision is with regard to pre-employment requirements. Um, if there are conditions of employment that um, you want to include, you want to spell that out in the employee handbook. Um, in the public sector, which I deal with a lot, um, this is something that comes up a lot with respect to background checks. Um, you want to put in the employee handbook that the employment does not start until all the conditions are met. In the public sector, it's important because an employee can, um, if, it's not, if this provision is not in there, the employee can make the argument, well, um, I had a, a protected property interest uh, prior to this and at, that they can bring some kind of a due process claim prior to when they were actually hired after all the conditions were met. Um, in the private sector, it's just important to spell it out so that it's clear for the employees when their employment starts. Um, as far as accommodations, um, that's another important um, area or provision to include. It could probably go more under the equal opportunity section, um, but you want to state in your handbook that you're an employer that reasonably accommodates disabilities so that an employee with a disability can perform the essential functions of the job. You want to let the employees know how to request an accommodation, uh, refer to a particular person or a person in HR. Um, it's important to have job descriptions so that you have a list of the essential functions of a, of a job and you want to make sure that you keep a medical file for an employee separate from the personnel file. So the reason I say that the job description um, accounts for a list of essential functions of the job, say for a nurse one of the essential functions of the job is they have to be able to stand for six hours. Um, you know, when you are engaging in the interactive process with an employee concerning a request for an accommodation, you want to know what those essential functions of the job are. Is there an accommodation that can help that employee be able to stand for six hours in the day? If not, if they can't perform the essential functions of the job, the employer may not need to provide an accommodation. Um, in the health field, uh, confidential information is very, very important. Uh, I would recommend putting a reminder regarding HIPAA um, during the employment and after the separation of employment in the handbook, including an acknowledgement that the employee um, knows about this policy and has signed off on it and keep that also. Um, and then also you can include in the handbook that a violation of the confidentiality can be a reason for discipline up to and including dismissal. Uh, 
um, you may want to include a provision about the employment of family members and define who family members are. It's some that, uh, one provision that's been requested. Um, as far as an introductory period, um, it can be dangerous in certain circumstances to include this type of a provision because as I said and as, as, as I explained with in the public sector, you don't want to give a person an expectation of a job for a certain amount of time. So say you have an introductory period of 90 days, that doesn't mean that they can't be fired within that 90 days. So you just want to be careful of how it's worded and that it doesn't create some kind of a property interest, especially in the, the private or the public sector. Um, you can include a provision concerning a ter the termination of employment. There are pros and cons to this. Um, as I said, if you're in at will employment state, you can terminate someone for anything. It doesn't have to raise up to a certain level for termination. Um, if, if you do want to list out the possible grounds for dismissal, you want to include a catch-all um, so that if something comes up that you do want to terminate the employee for, but it's not actually listed, you have that catch-all there. Um, another, another thing that you might want to include is malpractice coverage, like who pays for the tail coverage if an employee terminates or is, is terminated for cause. Sometimes that's something that you might want to include, so there's no question about that. Uh, personnel files, you want to include um, a provision that says that, that the personnel files are the property of the employer. Um, there may be a state statute about this issue. In Delaware, there is a state statute which says that um, the employee has a has the ability to inspect the personnel file while the employee is employed. However, it does not say that they can make copies of it, and it also doesn't say that former employees have this right. So you want to know what your state law is about that and include a provision. Uh, with respect to reference checks, um, you want to add something in there stating that a satisfactory reference check is a condition to employment and make that clear. Um, some, some companies like to have um, a provision concerning open communications to encourage the open door policy for employees, and you can certainly spell that out. Um, and maybe state in there something about the culture of the company uh, to elaborate on that. Um, progressive Discipline is one provision that, again, has pros and cons, as I discussed with the termination provision. Um, if you have it, you want to make sure that you include a catch-all. Um, if you Also, if you have it, you need to make sure that it's followed and that it's applied equally to all employees. You don't want to show favoritism that can be taken um, in a discriminatory or retaliatory kind of fashion. Uh, for example, in a discrimination kind of a case, um, say you have one employee who's African American and they file a charge of discrimination and state that they feel like they're being discriminated against because the Caucasian employees who have done, you know, misconduct type A have not been disciplined, but they, the African-American employee, has engaged in misconduct A and has been disciplined. So you want to make sure that they're, that all employees are treated the same. If you have the policy, you want to follow it. Uh, recording phone conversations is another um, type of provision you may want to include. and. In Delaware, there is a statute um, that allows this, but you, I guess you want to check to make sure that your state allows it. In Delaware, it's a, um, it's a one-sided permission, so if there's two people on the phone, as long as one person says, okay, to record, then, uh, then you can go ahead and do it. Uh, but as far as uh, text, emails, you want to include all of that to give notice that that the employee is giving consent to monitoring of all that. 
Um, also in Delaware, there's two different options. You can either have employees, every time they sign on to their computer, click on a screen that says, yes, I consent, or you can have a, an acknowledgement printed out and have the employees sign it and then keep it on file. And I would recommend that, um, and I would recommend that for, for really, in any state, I think it's a good practice. Um, with regards to quality control surveillance, um, in Delaware, there's no notice that's necessary to do this um, to monitor your employees. I give an example of, you know, having a cash register with a camera there and the employer management is watching the cash register. You don't have to provide the employees with notice that you're doing that. All right, I'm going to move to section two, which is compensation policies. Um, I think it's very important to spell out what the different categories of employment are. You know, who, what are your regular employees? Who are your temporary employees? Who has benefits? Who has vacation? Um, are there probationary uh, employees? And again, be careful with this, as I explained with the introductory term um, kind of issue. Also, you want to define who are your full-time employees, who are your part-time, who has benefits. Just spell that out so it's clear with the categories. Uh, you want to let employees know who their, what, or what their work hours are um, so that you can keep track of who's coming in when and whether they're working the appropriate amount of hours. For recording of work hours, I would say this is this is very important. You want employees to record their work hours. You also want them to attest to the accuracy of them. So you would have something at the bottom of or in the policy, but then also maybe at the time the bottom of a timesheet that they're attesting to the accuracy of the time of the time that they're um, sending in to you, so that you're sure that they're not falsifying it, or you're, they're at least attesting that they're not falsifying it. And then the also attesting that it's all of the hours worked. So that later, in the event they claim, oh no, I worked this much overtime and I didn't get paid for it, you at least have this policy and then also something at the bottom of the timesheet showing that, well, they signed off saying that these were all of the hours worked during this time period. Uh, you want to have your regular pay procedures spelled out in the employee handbook. Um, in Delaware, you know, it's covered by the um, Delaware Wage Payment and Collections Act, and it, it must be given to each employee upon hire, the time, place, and rate, um, but also it's good practice. The overtime pay procedures, I would recommend that you have a policy in or provision in your handbook that says that all overtime must be approved in advance by a manager um, because that alleviates the employee working overtime when they're not permitted to do so and then the employer being responsible to pay for those hours because they were worked. Uh, salary administration, you want to spell out the payroll practices. Um, you know, get permission for direct deposit, have a signed permission uh, to mail a paycheck. That's important mainly for a situation where an employee is terminated and you don't have to have them come into the property to pick up a paycheck after they're terminated for the time that they've worked. Um, you can mail it to them. Performance reviews, I would say that this is critical um, and for a number of reasons. If you are an employer who is um, terminating an employee for performance reasons, you need to make sure that the, the performance evaluations reflect this. So it's very difficult to, to show that an employee is being fired for performance reasons if then they're able to say, well, look at all of my performance evaluations. They said that I was great. And then the employer is stuck with that and say, well, I didn't put it in there. I didn't want to hurt the employee's feelings, but we really had all these problems. I just didn't want to. So that, that, that makes for a very um, troubling issue. 
it usually I've seen it come up in um, discrimination and retaliation cases. Um, say, for example, I'm an employee that's fired, and I go and file a charge of discrimination with the Department of Labor. And I claim that I was discriminated against based upon uh, my age. And um, so now I have the burden to prove that. So in the investigation process, and part of the legal standard is, the employer needs to show what was the non-discriminatory reason, legitimate business reason, for terminating the employee. Okay, so you go back to the employer, and you say, okay, well, what was it? And they say, well, it was because of performance reasons. Well, if the performance evaluations don't show that, then it looks like the employer is lying about the reason and that they really did terminate the employee because of discriminatory, for discriminatory reasons. So that's one reason why it's important um, to have, if you're going to have performance reviews, make sure that they're accurate. Um, you can include an, a provision in your handbook for travel and entertainment. You want to say, you know, that the employee will be reimbursed within a certain amount of time. Usually it's about 30 days. Um, make the employee submit receipts to show. And you can also limit the amounts for meals, and et cetera. Uh, lunchtime, you want to specify how long um, it can be taken during the day and what period of the day. Uh, the Delaware statute, you know, it tells you that it can't be taken a certain number of hours at the beginning of the day or a certain number of hours at the end of the day, and it needs to be taken for any, so at least be 30 minutes. So you want to check what the state statute is about that, too. Okay, section three. I'm going to talk about uh, benefits and, and time off. Let's see. So you want to include in the employment hand or employee handbook what are the benefits? What are the paid time? What's the paid time off? What's the vacation schedule? What's the sick leave schedule? Um, and guidelines that, that apply. So you want to put in there whether certain days carry over if there's a certain amount of time. You want to put in there whether, you know, if you don't use a certain number of days, you lose them. Um, and then upon termination, you want to also include what's going to happen. Or is the employee going to forfeit uh, their, their days or are they going to be paid out, paid out for that time? Uh, holidays, you want to um, make sure that you tell the employee if they work on a holiday, and, and again, you can make it so that it's with permission from management, what's going to be the rate of pay, uh, double time, time and a half, something like that. Um, with regard to jury duty, it doesn't have to be paid, but you cannot retaliate against an employee for taking jury duty. Uh, bereavement, um, you don't have to offer it. I would say many employers do, um, but it doesn't have to be offered, and it can be unpaid. Uh, with regards to religious observation, um, I should say religious, not religions, um, you have to, if an employer, for example, for an employee, for example, says they can't work on a Saturday, an employer now has the duty to engage in the interactive process to determine if uh, the employee should provide it, be provided a religious accommodation. So um, you want to keep that in mind. Uh, with regard to military leave, um, that's covered, or the, what governs this is the Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Rights Act of 1994, which is um, referred to as USERA which is a federal law that establishes rights and responsibilities for uniformed service members and their civilian employers. So there are, you could spend a whole day on USERA, but there are specific um, uh, statutes with regard to USERA which 
say govern when an employee can take military leave and that they cannot be retaliated against or discriminated against. So just be aware of that. Um, the Family and Medical Leave Act, again, this is enough. You could spend a day on the FMLA, uh, which I have done before, or you know, a whole presentation on just that. So just something to keep in mind. It may not apply to everyone that's in, that's in this um, presentation. You, the employer, in order for FMLA to apply, would need to have 50 employees within 75 miles. Um, and employees are only eligible if they've worked uh, 1,250 hours within the last 12 months. And then this just kind of gives an overview of um, what FMLA leave is, and it allows an employee, if they're eligible, to have 12 weeks of unpaid leave each year for any of the following reasons. Uh, birth and care of a newborn child, placement with an employee of a child for adoption or foster care, uh, to care for an immediate family member, which is it's defined, but a spouse, child, or parent with a serious health condition, or to take medical leave when the employee is unable to work because of a serious health condition. And serious health condition is a defined term, um, so that's something that you would have to go through an analysis to determine whether the um, whatever the employee is claiming falls under a serious health condition. There's, a, there's also certain um, types of intermittent leave um, that some employees might be eligible for based upon um, whatever the nature of the uh, serious health condition is. So, like I said, <clears throat> there's a lot more to the FMLA, but you just want to keep it in mind. It may not even apply to you if you don't even have close to 50 employees. Um, but if it does, then it's something that you need to um, focus upon for your employee handbook. Section four is um, uh, benefits and, let's see, you want to spell out, um, you know, the, that you, the employer has the group health and related benefits. Um, you want to say something like benefits are offered to, um, you know, which employees, like I said before, are they full -time, only full-time employees or you want to spell that out. Um, but you want to refer to the plan documents. Um, otherwise, every time you update your plan, your health insurance plan, you'll have to update the handbook. So it kind of obviates the need for that. And um, it would just refer to that handbook. Uh, and then you want to also spell out um, that there are benefit eligibility changes for a change in family status, at annual enrollment, you can tell you know, put the dates in there when annual enrollment is, uh, emergency information, and talk about uh, workers' compensation insurance. So um, section five, I would talk about team member conduct first. And um, again, this is something, as I said, you can include in your handbook. Um, but similar to what I was discussing before about progressive discipline and termination, you may not want to um, spell it out. If you do, just make sure you put a catch-all in there that says like um, that there there can be other conduct um, and that certain things can can warrant discipline up to and including um, termination. As far as team member responsibilities, it's an be a good idea to put the job description and as I talked about before, the essential functions of someone's job. Um, with regard to dress code, um, in the healthcare field, scrubs may be the dress code and you can elaborate on that, how whatever applies to your practice or company. Um, you do need to consider a religious accommodation um, based on some recent case law. Um, so you, you do need to, to take that into account, and there may be, need to be um, an interactive, engage in the interactive process if there's a request for religious accommodation with regard to the dress code. Uh, for solicitation and distribution, we would recommend, um, I usually recommend 
and that you say that it needs to be approved by HR, or maybe a good practice might be to say that you need to use the, the bulletin board of the employer, which is in the, um, the break room, or you can use the bulletin board. Some places have a bulletin board on their email, and that that's only be used for um, those kinds of things can only be posted on the bulletin board and approved by HR. Uh, gift fees and compliance with the laws, those are certain things that um, you may want to include, whether an employee can accept a gift over a certain amount uh, or state that gifts are company property. Anti-harassment is uh, a very important provision to include in the employee handbook. Um, so not just sexual harassment, there can be other types of harassment in the workplace based upon all different protected characteristics. Um, it's very important to include in this provision well, where the complaints can be made, whether it's to HR or to management or both, because sometimes um, an employee's manager is the one who's actually harassing them, so they need someone else, an alternative person, to make a um, where they can make a complaint. So sometimes you can say management or this particular role in HR, so that um, that way they have an alternative. I want to talk about the investigation and state that the investigation will be done when they get it, when uh, management gets receives a complaint. Uh, you can state that the confidentiality will be um, provided, but only to the extent possible. There are some situations in which someone makes a complaint of harassment and you just can't keep that person's name confidential because you need it to perform the investigation. So you don't want to promise confidentiality at all, but to the extent possible, you can state that it will be um, provided. And also, you want to state in the uh, provision that there will be no retaliation for a person that um, makes a complaint of harassment or makes a complaint um, or is involved in the investigation of harassment or retaliation, um, that person won't be retaliated against. Okay, uh, next is weblog, social network, websites, forums, policies. So uh, with social media, there are now a million ways that employees can be involved with um, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and everything else. So uh, now public sector employees, they have the protections of the First Amendment. So it's a little bit different um, for a public sector employee. Um, they can en may be engaging in protected conduct if they post something on the their f personal Facebook page about their employee. So it's something that, it's an issue that needs to be looked at closely. Um, a private sector employee doesn't necessarily, ha doesn't have the First Amendment protections. However, um, there are some protected, there are some protected activities even for private employees. So uh, if you have a private sector employee that's saying something on Facebook or making a comment with employees saying, you know, we need to get together about our uh, pay. Our pay is unfair. Something like that that's like concerted activity can be considered uh, protected activity in certain circumstances. And so you wouldn't want to discipline an employee for that kind of conduct. However, you do want, I, you know, I think it's best practice to put employees on notice that uh, their social networking websites, web blogs, et cetera, will be monitored and that they can be disciplined up to and including termination for um, violations of the policy. Uh, 
outside employment is one provision that some employers want to include, whether you can say that outside employment is permitted or not, and whether you need some sort of permission from management if there's a conflict. Uh, visitors in the workplace, uh, it is a good idea to have this type of a policy. I would say um, I've seen it come up in unemployment types of cases uh, where someone's maybe getting terminated for uh, repeatedly having their girlfriend or boyfriend visit them. And now if you have a policy that says, look, this policy specifically says you can't have visitors in the workplace, you violated it um, on these occasions, now you're terminated, it can be an easier case in an unemployment situation. Uh, same goes for absenteeism and tardiness. I think it's important to have this policy or provision in your, your handbook. It's also just as important to follow the policy. And again, as I you know, discussed earlier, you want to follow the policy evenly with all employees. So you know, if you're going to have some people absent and some people coming in late and you're going to go ahead and discipline some but not others, you don't want some employees, say it's a person over 40 or um, a female or a male or wh whoever it is going forward and making a, discriminatory, a claim of discrimination saying, I was treated differently um, based upon, you know, the same type of conduct. I'd say this absenteeism and tardiness issue is also important um, for an, in an unemployment context. It makes it easier um, to make your case that an employee should not get unemployment compensation if you have this employment em or, uh, type of policy in place and uh, you can document that it was not followed. Tobacco usage, um, you can have an, um, something in there about that. Alcohol and drug-free workplace, um, there's a couple different ways you can uh, have a provision about this where testing is under reasonable suspicion or you test everyone or you test random people. In the public sector, without a reasonable suspicion is, is problematic because it can be considered an unreasonable search. Um, there's also a problem with false positives. So, you know, you, get a, you test someone, you get a false positive, and then that person claims a def defamation, like you put me out there as a drug user, and it was a false positive. Uh, my recommendation would be to manage the manifestations of the employee. So, as a result of maybe alcohol use or drug use, is that person always late? Is that person always missing work? Is that person having performance issues? And I would recommend and say that it's best practice to discipline for those reasons. Um, with regard to business facilities and equipment, you want to have something in your handbook saying that it's the property of the, you know, what's property of the company. Um, if they keep any property after termination, then you can go after them um, to get that property back with the help of the police. Use of vehicles, it's important to have something in your policy or in your handbook prohibiting driving while on the phone. Uh, it could be a, a workers' compensation issue. Uh, if you have an employee who's driving um, and then uses the phone to make a work call and gets into an accident. It can be a very hairy issue, and I think you just want to be clear in your handbook that that's prohibited. The internet, cellular, mobile phones, and email usage. Again, we kind of talked about this already, but you want to have a policy that says that um, Employees are going to be monitored on all work devices at any time. Um, they're on notice that there's no expectation of privacy, and they want, you want to have a signed acknowledgement and keep that in their file. Uh, with regard to searches and property, if you have a provision stating that the, for example, all lockers are the property of the um, company, then you can go ahead and search that. Uh, safety and health, you can, 
you know, you, based on what your practice is, you can include uh, information about wearing hard hats, safety goggles, scrubs, having hair back, et cetera, for health and safety reasons. Uh, with regard to personal property, you want to include a provision that says that employees are responsible for their own pro personal property so that the employer is not responsible or doesn't, it's easier for the employer to say that uh, they're not responsible if something's lost or stolen of the employees. Workplace violence, um, and it, 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 it is recommended to have a policy for this. Uh, with regards to how to make a report um, or a complaint, the investigation procedure, um, have the, um, that it will not be tolerated in the workplace. Uh, unacceptable team member behavior, again, similar to the progressive discipline policy, you want to have a catch-all for termination. And in section six, which is the last section, um, you can have uh, agreements in there. You, you can have the team member handbook acceptance form. So a form at the end that says that you're acknowledging uh, that you've read and understood and accepted the handbook and have the employees sign off on that and you keep a kind signed copy of that. That's very useful down the road at Kendi in defending a kind of a claim by an employee. Um, and then also, as we said, an acknowledgement of the employer's monitoring policy. And then also, um, as we discussed, you might have a HIPAA policy or a confidentiality policy, and you can keep a signed copy of that also. So how can I help? Um, as I said, I'm a Delaware practitioner, and um, we frequently do draft policies and handbooks and these are general provisions that are included in many, many types of employee handbooks. However, for a, a specific industry or for a specific practice, that you want that handbook obviously to be tailored to that practice. So we sit down with management and determine, you know, what are the specific needs? Um, what are the different types of employees that you have? What are the issues that come up? Um, and what are, you know, some things you can include in your handbook that will help you defend claims or actions down the road. Because having these policies is uh, a way of preventing um, and putting you in the best possible place in the event a claim is filed by an employee later. As we always say, you know, you can't stop an employee from filing a claim against you. You can't, um, even if it's frivolous, um, which some of them are, they get filed. So, um, you know, these handbooks help you uh, in wading your way through a claim against an employee later down the road. Um, we also do prepare employment agreements. So sometimes you do want to have a, an employment agreement or a contract with an employee and um, I do uh, prepare those agreements. Uh, I also assist with training um, on policies. As I said, you know, I might do a training on FMLA or a training, uh, and you can also have your HR department do this. Um, but I do uh, recommend training to the employees on the different policies in the handbook. And counseling. You know, you have an FMLA issue come up or a reasonable accommodation issue come up, and instead of making an uncertain decision and going with it, maybe you maybe you talk to legal counsel and you have a 10-minute or 5-minute conversation with legal counsel before you make that decision that could lead you into a bind later on. So we do do proactive counseling. Um, and then, again, if there is a claim filed by an employee, um, I do provide defense. Um, at the administrative level for uh, the, with the Department of Labor or the EEOC um, or, you know, in, in court. Um, so, you know, these are the takeaway points. I talked about it, uh, you know, as I went through, but you want to have the proper policies in place and update those policies. Follow the policies and treat employees similarly. Have employee training. 
keep proper documentation. Um, if you have, uh, if you have, as I said, a performance evaluation where you are documenting certain um, things that are deficiencies in performance of an employee, you want to keep that documentation. If there are emails that go along with it, keep it all. Preserve that information and um, investigate issues that arise. And here is my uh, contact information in case you would need that. Right, Jill, Allison, we, yep, yes. we do have we do have some questions. Okay. Uh, if an employee asks for an accommodation, does the employer have to provide that accommodation? So this is uh, related to disability, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act. And the answer is not always. The employer does not always have to provide an accommodation, but an employer does have an obligation to engage in the interactive process. So um, where employers can get in trouble is by not engaging when they get an, a request. And what does that mean? Um, you know, asking what, what's the accommodation, what are the kinds of things that you need assistance with, and just having that open discussion with the employee. Um, you know, with legal counsel, you can have some assistance with the right questions to ask. But you also, um, there are some defenses that the employer can raise. Maybe what they're asking for is an undue burden. It's going to be too expensive, or um, it's going to, you know, make the whole our, your whole practice have to change something um, that's too burdensome. There are defenses that an employer can raise when they ask for an an employee asks for an accommodation, and also when an employee asks for accommodation, that employee is not entitled to the the specific accommodation they request. They may, to get them to where they need to be to, to perform the essential functions of the job, there may be something else that will work that's maybe less expensive. So um, those are, are things that the employer can do. Okay, what is the current status of the Fair Labor Standards Act overtime exemption rule and what should employers be doing now? Okay, so um, the Department of Labor had issued um, a rule that was supposed to take place in de December, and it was going to change the threshold amount. Um, let me, I have a, some information in front of me that I just want to make sure I get it accurate. It they were going to increase the minimum salary for exempt executive, administrative, and professional employees from $455 a week to $913 a week, which would mean that it would raise the uh, bar to $47,476 per year, would be the annual salary of someone to, for someone to be the uh, exempt status. So when that was about to go into place, then there was um, a lawsuit filed, and on November 22, 2016, like a week right before it was about to go into effect, um, a federal judge in um, the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Texas um, stopped it from going into effect. Uh, then there's been an appeal filed. So um, at this point, the, the appeal is still pending with the Fifth Circuit, Fifth Circuit Court. Um, and briefs are due at the end of June, so we're not going to get an answer for a little while. So, you know, what are we supposed to do at this point? It, it, we're still working by the old rule, but at the same time, um, it's because the new rule hasn't taken effect yet. It's been stopped. But at the same time, employer, some employers have already changed their um, policies based on that the new rule was going to take effect the next week. So, I mean, it's fine for you to, to do that. Just know that the new rule has not taken effect yet. Okay. Um, can there be a statement regarding staff salaries that and performance evaluations that they should remain confidential and not discussed amongst other employees? And can it be a cause for termination if they are discussed? You can, I think you can include that. Um, I don't know, like I said, with, with all states, but I believe that you can, um, I believe you can. 
but that's without me looking into it for sure. Okay. And as far as, um, I just don't know off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I would have to look into it a little bit further. Okay. And I can send you that information. Yeah, you can okay. do that. Thanks. Okay. Um, does the employer have to continue to pay health insurance benefits for the employee while they are on leave the same as if they were working? So I don't know um, which leave we're referring to, but under for FMLA leave, it does not have to be paid. Okay. I believe that's what she's referring to. Oh, I'm to. sorry. Would you say health insurance benefits? Yes. I believe it does, the health insurance, but the actual paid leave does not need to, um, the person does not need to be paid during those 12 weeks. I think I misunderstood the question. So health insurance benefits, yes, but paid leave. I no. believe yeah. so. Again, that's something that I could follow up with and look into. Okay. All right. Um, and under Section 3, you referenced a guideline of use-lose time. We've been told that if the employee accrues time, we cannot take it away. Is this the case? I guess it depends on your state statute. With um, Under the Delaware Wage Payment and Collections Act, if a person has, you have to pay for all hours worked. Um, so it may depend on what your state statute is. Okay. All right. Well, I think um, that is about all the time we have for questions. Uh, I will send the additional questions uh, to Allison offline. Uh, please use her contact information on the screen uh, for any further questions. And if if you send us the questions, I will forward them on to her. Your Paycom C certificate will be emailed automatically. Uh, it takes about one to two days, so if you do not receive this, please contact Marissa at Paycom.com. Please join us again June 20th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Pregnancy in the Workplace, Employee Rights and Employer Obligations with, with Lauren Russell, and June 21st for Patient Safety challenges, communication, and resolution initiatives with Dr. David Summers. You can register for these webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at 1schcc.com or give us a call at 888-543-4778. Thank you, Allison. Thank you again. And have, Thank a, great, you. And have a great day.